the way our human brain is wired, the neural patterns, you know, they've, they've stuck MRI machines on people to test this, that the neural patterns think of saving for the future in the exact same way that we think of giving money away to a complete stranger. So making good money decisions, there's a huge disconnect uh, physiologically that we have to clear. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What is going on, all of you amazing, abundant leaders out there? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community, proving to you that you can, in fact, live a life of abundance in family, faith, finances, and fitness on your way to having more. Now, today we are going to be talking about finances, but if you are an avid listener of this show, you may already know that I'm known to go down a rabbit hole or two, but our feature guest today it does specialize in finance, so we will be talking on that because it is extremely important for you to have your finances straight in order for you to live a true life of abundance. We talk a lot about giving, we talk about some statistics, but we also have a good time and we just share general conversations. So I hope you're ready to get into this one and learn and apply the strategies and the conversation and the mindset that we share. Listen closely to the conversation so you pick up the mindset. That's the importance of listening to this show and others like it because you get a chance to get into the heads and not just the hard strategies, not just the tactics, but also the mindset of what it takes to live a life of true abundance in your own right. And that way you can, when you pay it forward, you can pay it forward in a much bigger way. And of course, speaking of paying it forward, I'm going to give you an opportunity, as I always do, to be abundant in your actions today by paying it forward and sharing men of abundance with everyone you come in contact with. Do not discriminate based on whether or not if you think they will benefit from it or not. Listen, it's called men of abundance, but about 50% of the listeners are ladies and they are digging it. They are getting in on these conversations, and they are really enjoying this show. I know because I hear the comments. I get reached out to on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it. People are reaching out to me and telling me. Speaking of reaching out, you can reach out too. Not only can you share Men of Abundance, and a cool way to share Men of Abundance is just to take a screenshot of your phone right now while you're listening to the Men of Abundance podcast on whatever podcast player you're using, or even take a snapshot of the computer screen if you're listening at menofabundance.com. And then share that on social media, hashtag MOA, hashtag Men of Abundance. Of course, when you share it, don't just share the image and then put a hashtag. Share what you liked about that particular conversation so that others can resonate with that and they will come and listen to the conversation as well and then find all the other conversations and episodes of Men of Abundance. Now check this out. Since I use Captivate and the podcast player is really freaking cool, you probably see it there on your podcast player or on the website at menofabundance.com. 
you can click on the three little dots and when you click on those dots it is going to bring up how you can share men of abundance on facebook twitter instagram you can also click on the arrow and decide where you want to listen to men of abundance on your favorite podcast player click on the dots with the little lines you can check out the show notes and see you know what i got in there the links that are in there that you can that i mentioned on the show all that cool stuff you can do from your podcast player because of the podcast player that I'm using, which is Captivate. And I use Captivate because I want the most professional look and the greatest experience for you, the listener. You're welcome. Now, in case you didn't know, you can get in on these conversations by joining our private Facebook group at Men of Abundance on Facebook. Just search Men of Abundance and the Men of Abundance page will come up as well as the Men of Abundance group. Go ahead and like the page so that you can get those announcements and get in on the conversation there as well. But if you want to get in on the private conversation, then click on the Men of Abundance Facebook group, request access. And I used to have it to where it was just men, but we are having so many conversations that are involving men and women that I just opened it up. I let men and women in there. These conversations have to be carried on other than just here on the show. And that way you can express your opinion and your experiences. And we respect all of that because it's all relevant to you and we can learn from each other's experiences. So either search Men of Abundance on Facebook or click on the link in the show notes and you'll go directly there to the page and or the group so that you can request access. Now, let's bring out our feature guest. Our feature guest today is the author of Making Money Simple, the complete guide to getting your financial house in order and keeping it that way forever. As the chief investment officer for PlanCorp, a wealth management firm serving clients across the country, Peter oversees the management of $4 billion in client assets. Peter has built a national reputation as an educator and wealth management expert due to his ability to simplify complex financial topics into easily digestible lessons. He is a contributor at the Wall Street Journal and Forbes, while also regularly appearing on national television to share his insights. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Peter Lazaroff. Peter, welcome to Men of Abundance, brother. How are you doing? I'm great, Wally. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, my pleasure. I'm glad we could work this out. I know you had to move some things around to make it happen so we wouldn't be having this conversation late in December, maybe January. So uh, I appreciate you doing that, man. Hey, you're busy, too. I, I know you moved some things for me, so this is exciting. Yeah, too easy, too easy. Awesome. So where are you at in the world? So I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. I have not been to that part of the United States yet, yet because we will be hitting the States uh, here shortly. We're going to do the RV thing. Very fun. Well, there's enough highways that cross through here. Hopefully you can find your way through the gateway to the West and catch yourself a ball game and get some good food and great place to raise a family here. Uh, Absolutely love being in St. Louis. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, you got me at the food, man. My wife and I, we love the food, man. So we got to be careful with that. So I like to start out uh, the conversation with an attitude of gratitude, man. What do you have to be grateful for today? I think one of the things I'm most grateful for is a very supportive wife. I take a lot of risks. Um, I take, I'm, I challenge myself. I work very hard and it would be really difficult to not have somebody to lean on when things that you're experimenting with don't work out uh, or things are becoming more trying and it's hard to juggle life as a father, um, juggle life as an employee, as a mentor at work. 
um, to work for my clients, to be a good friend. Having that supportive wife at home is really something that's truly invaluable to me and I'll always be grateful for. Yeah, that is a huge, I mean, just to have supportive people in your life in general, uh, it, especially for those of us, you know, that are trying to move forward and, and get outside the the norm, you know what I'm saying, and try to push past, you know, just become better versions of ourselves tomorrow than we are today. Sure. Uh, there, there's so many negative forces out there and it's just, and some of those are are our own family and friends just because one, they don't want us to leave them Two, you know, they, they don't want us to, to see us get hurt by failing because they failed at something else in their past. And I get it, but to have that support to push you along, it's extremely powerful. Yeah. Everybody, you know, especially, and I didn't, you know, my wife is that number one, having good friends helps. And I think also just having colleagues at work that believe in mm-hmm. me. And to give me the freedom to create and do what I think is going to be best for our clients, for our companies, for our employees, I feel really fortunate to be in the position I am today. Yeah, that is. That's really cool because one of the things I talk to guys that want to, uh, you know, they have a job, they're at a, they're going to a nine to five every day, but they want to either move their life forward or start their own business, start something, you know, and they're going to this, in many cases, a lot of negativity at work and so it's important for them to get around people that aren't going to support them or at least have somebody at home that's going to help support them to get up off the couch and do what they got to do to move forward absolutely i love it man so here on men of abundance we really like to get to know the man behind the abundance so if you would how would you describe yourself so i think there are two things, maybe three things that come to mind if I'm going to describe myself. One would be just being a really strategic thinker. Um, so faced with generally any scenario, I feel like I have a strength in spotting relevant patterns and issues, highly analytical, futuristic, you know, energizing those around me with visions of the future, all kind of falling within that strategic thinker role. And I think that really helps me at work. Um, I'm also very competitive, both with myself and others. And so for throughout my life, I feel like I've always tried to climb, climb levels. And if, you know, I got to what I felt like was as high as I could get, I would go out and build a level just so I can go climb to it. So I've always been a really competitive person. And I think finally loyal, uh, maybe to a fault even, but I, I trust those around me. I give people a lot of leeway and in everyday life, um, big moments, small moments. And that loyalty, I think, you know, is somewhat related to trust and those three things, I think, you know, if you know about me, you can generally navigate uh, situations with me pretty well. Um, but I, I, I like to think I'm somewhat creative as, uh, on top of that. So I do quite a bit of writing. Uh, I play in a band with some friends. And so that creative outlet's always been an important part of life. And what, is, what do you feel that that creative outlet uh, does for you professionally as well and in your personal life? Well, I think being able to create and creative, a lot of people I think will assume means something you know, I mentioned music, music or painting or creative writing, but ultimately creating something out of thin air. And so when I write, the writing could very well be about personal finance or investing, but it didn't exist prior or having an idea and pushing towards that idea to make that idea a reality. You know, when you can, you can go through processes all day. When you come to work, you can kind of answer your emails, be reactive in addressing things. But when you're proactive and you're creating out of thin air, there's something very satisfying to me about that. And every day I get a new idea. 
there aren't enough hours in the day or days in a week or weeks in a year for me to realize all the ideas that come into my mind. But the fact that I've been empowered to pursue the ideas that I think are best for both me and my colleagues and our clients is really important. And if I didn't get to create out of thin air, I think I'd go, I'd go crazy. You just have to sometimes be able to put pen to paper um, and take strategic time thinking about things that will help others around you. Yeah, I think that's extremely important. And thanks for sharing that because being creative, both professionally and uh, personally, I believe is is just one of many ways to continue growing, uh, especially as you're growing with your children, for instance. And like me and my youngest, you know, we're creating things on a regular uh, with Legos, for instance. I mean, it doesn't have to be something that's so elaborate. But I mean, it's funny because my little guy, he'll I'll bring something home for him, and he'll follow. We'll follow the instructions, put it together together. And then by the end of the day, he's completely destroyed it and created something his of himself, you know, That's and I so love awesome. that creative. Yeah. And I, I think we have that as kids, but as adults, somewhere along the way, we lose that creativity. Yeah. I think my son, um, who's six, my oldest son is really into Legos himself and he has all these little mini figures and I'm always stuck with keeping the right legs on the right guy or the right hat on the right person. Mm-hmm. And he just always is mixing them up and, I finally had to embrace it and recognize, look, he's really playing. I'm just following instructions here. Um, So I think it's a wonderful example of how that that creativity works with kids, that somewhat boundless idea creation. You know, there's no norms or a feeling of right or wrong. I think once you start worrying about what's right and what's wrong, particularly professionally, and you Mm -hmm. don't just do what seems like a great idea, I think that's when you're going to restrain yourself and hold yourself back from personal progress. Right, absolutely. One of my mentors says it very well, and he says that systems stifle creativity. And it's so true. While systems are important in life and in business because they take care of the, mon- the monotonous things in life uh, and, and kind of have some normalcy behind what you're doing, at the same time, if you just follow systems, you're never going to be creative. There's no room for it. Right. So you have to have room for that creativity to grow, especially as quickly as things are changing in our world today. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Very cool. So one of the things that I like to bring up here in our conversation, and this gets a little bit deeper into finding out who you are as a person and and how you react to certain things and, and kind of what you're doing now because many times a kick in the gut moment a significant emotional event is what changes the trajectory of our lives and make us stop doing uh, things that are harmful to ourselves or and or moving forward and just doing amazing things in the world so if you would share with us one of those kick in the gut moments and uh, really make us feel that so i think one of the biggest changes in the trajectory of my career, uh, for example, was when I had failed the first level of a CFA exam. So for any of those who don't know what the CFA is, it's the Chartered Financial Analyst. It's widely considered to be the more most difficult set of financial designations um, that you can earn. And that's because each test is given once a year and has a pass rate of somewhere between 30 and 40%. And I remember my wife and I had just gotten engaged And I failed the first level of the exam and she had seen how much time I was putting into it, but she also questioned the way I was using my time. And once we were engaged, she says, look, I'm not going to allow you to keep wasting time on failing exams. So if you fail any more of these, you're done. This was pretty early in my career where this designation was pretty important. 
and ultimately it got me to refocus and work harder. And I, I ultimately went on to pass all three of the exams in succession, but I think that sort of gave me the kick in the rear to focus the time I'm working, not just spend time working, but to have it truly be focused. And one way I did that, I, this sounds a little crazy, but I used to leave sticky notes all over the place on my bathroom mirror, on my driving wheel, um, in the car, on my keyboard at work that just said work harder or work more. And look, I'm not a work workaholic by any means, but I definitely grind and it feels good. You know, I think there's a lot of outcomes that I can see, some of which are measurable, some of which are not. But I think my wife has, she went to school with me and she saw me maybe not apply myself as hard as I could in school and said, look, you got to get going. And I think that was a big moment for me. And I'm very fortunate that it happened early in my career because I've been able to realize my full potential as a result of it. Yeah, that's important. And again, there's that support system in place there. But so many of us want to get caught up in the, you know, certain aspects of things. Uh, one of the, and I like your thought, your thoughts on this because I don't have this conversation very often because it does rub. I don't mind rub, rubbing some people wrong, but um, the point is this: I'm not a subscriber to never quit. And what I mean by that is you can you can still have the same goal in mind. But the way you're doing it is not going to get you there. And in fact, you're going to lose more than you can gain along the way. For instance, your wife. I mean, there's many divorces because of, you know, financial reasons or men just being so focused on one thing and not taking care of everything else. So it's, it, it seems that you at least changed the way you were doing things or took a different approach to it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that, you know, the balance between working hard and working enough or working effectively are really different. And I probably teeter that line and fall on both sides of it at times. I'm by no means perfect. I definitely enjoy my time to be with the people I care most about. And there are times where I overfocus on work because I'm really passionate about what I do. And a lot of that's because I'm getting to create the things that I love and dream up and I do sometimes get lost in it. And so I think that, yeah, you do need to know where a quitting point is. And I think, if you, especially if your work doesn't make you happy, I feel mm. very fortunate that I am happy to be at work every single day. I tend to, even on vacation, I tend to work. I, I take long vacations in part because it allows me to unplug, but in part also because it allows me to focus on some kind of new project that I've always had baking in the back of my mind that I want to do. But if you don't shut it down and spend time with your kids and your wife and your friends and family, you know, what is the purpose? Um, and some people can get tied up in work and that's what makes them happiness and, you know, happiest. And that that's not necessarily bad if that's really going to work for you. But if you do want to have people around you that you care about, you have to find that balance. Um, and so to your point, the, you know, never quit isn't necessarily the right mentality for all of life. You know, I would like to think that the reason I work is because I enjoy it and because I envision a life of waking up and getting to do whatever I want to do with my time. So some of that has to do with some financial independence naturally, but if you're doing the things you love and you're on a path to getting to a place where when you wake up, if you want to go out and take a walk with your family and that's what you get to do, well, then you have achieved that full freedom, that financial freedom, that full financial independence. 
if you're grinding through a job that you don't like and makes you unhappy, that's going to bleed into other parts of your relationships. And then that's really bad. So I, I think I'm, I'm on board with you. I can't swear that I'm perfect at it. I definitely fall on both sides, but I make a real big effort to try to stay on the right side of that line than the wrong side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and the whole work thing, I'm, I'm all about hard work, but I'm more about smart work yep. because there's a, the fact of the matter is it's a proven fact that hard work isn't necessarily what is going to get you successful. My dad worked hard much of his life. I know people that literally work themselves to death. Work them, you know, it, it depends on the type of work you're doing and how sure. effective you are in, in what you're doing. And is it fulfilling? Is the work fulfilling? It doesn't. You don't have to like every aspect of it. In fact, you probably won't. But the end result is what you're working towards. And so it gets much deeper than that. But yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Well, let me give you one quick example, though. Uh, that that you know, I think a difference is you say working smart is when I get into the office, I try not to open my email until 10 or 11 a.m. Mm. because email is everybody else's to-do list. So if I want to use my time effectively and I know that I want to be home at 5 p.m. to be with my family for dinner, you have to figure out what's most important. And similarly, I work frequently after the family goes to bed. So my kids go to bed at 8 p.m. But I typically, again, am not answering emails. I'm working on things that are important and things that, you know, as you progress, will will generally give you more fulfillment in your work life. So I think, yeah, this work smart concept is really important and it has to be different for everybody. There's no one way to do it. It's just treating your time very like it's your most valuable asset because in reality it is. Yeah, right. The kind of time blocking and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, I remember when I worked, um, when I was working for somebody else, uh, I used to, I had a new boss that came on board and he was like, he would send me, he would send out emails to some of us leaders and he'd be like, Hey, let's meet in 15 minutes. I'll read the email like an hour later because I'm not in my email. I'm working, you know? So if you want me to meet in 15 minutes, it's an unscheduled meeting. Then guess what, dude, you have to come and tap on my shoulder or call my phone or something like that because I'm I'm just not sitting in the email waiting for emails to come in because like you said that's somebody else's agenda that's somebody else's to do list right it's so, so true yeah yeah very very and it, it's 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 um it's a challenge sometimes in some environments but guys you just have to figure that out uh, so that you can be more effective and you got to communicate with that I, I he got it I finally explained to him look you can't just send me an email 15 minutes before you want to meet with me because I'm working that's why I'm pr- so productive. Mm-hmm. He was like, okay, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go over real well initially, but I think he figured it out. Anyhow, that's that's past. I don't have to deal with that crap no more. <laughs> so what is it that got you? I mean, one of the things that intrigued me about what we're talking about today and specifically in what you do professionally is here on Men of Abundance, we're, we're doing everything we can to show men and women, because about 50% of our listeners are women, how to live a life of abundance in family, faith, finances, and fitness. And you touch on that finance side. So how did you get into that and what specifically do you do for us? So my interest in finance began at a very young age. My grandmother had given me a share of Nike stock for my 12th birthday. And Sweet. Yeah, really great <laughs> birthday gift. I would say, so I have a, a December 20th birthday and I, which is near Christmas. And I remember thinking, well, gosh, like I just want video games and toys. And it seemed like kind of a lame gift at first, this piece mm-hmm. of paper that said Nike. Sure. And the more she explained it, she goes, you know, no, you own 
a part of that company, the, the shoes that you wear and the t-shirts that you like, you are now an owner of that company. You can go to the shareholder meetings. They're going to pay you some of their earnings every quarter. And that was really fascinating to me. Nike stock at that time happened to split very shortly after I received it. And so for those that don't know what that means, basically when, just to use hypothetical numbers, if Nike's price got up to $100, they would cut the price in half and issue other everybody else another share for every share they own. So instead of having one share, I had two shares. And then a few months later, it split again and I had four shares. And even though it really doesn't change the value, I was just thinking, this is so cool. I'm 12 and I'm getting more shares of this company for doing nothing. And they're (laughs) sending me a dollar check in the mail every quarter. I got totally hooked on the idea of finances. And I think by the time I'd entered college, I knew I wanted to do something with stocks, which is a pretty all-encompassing thought process. But that's how I focused my studies um, in economics and in business. And when I got out of school, I started an independent advisor as an analyst and a trader. And so over time, I'd mentioned earlier taking the CFA exam, you know, after I finished that and gotten my CFP, which is a certified financial planner, I started working with clients, but I was also at a young age where we had these account minimums of a million dollars where not many people wanted to give a 25 year old a million dollars. And so I began to write and I sent emails and I wrote blog posts and I figured if I could share my knowledge, people might begin to trust me. And frequently I'd meet with people and they'd say, gosh, I definitely thought you were 10 or 20 years older than you actually are. But that writing started really helping me better understand the world around me. And I grew up um, as a son of two physicians. And I remember my dad who uh, taught medical school, did some rounds with students on top of being a pediatrician. And he would say, the process of learning is to see one, do one, and then teach one. Mm -hmm. And that's how you'd learn a procedure. And I started thinking about my writing more as my teach one. And that's how I really began to have so much of the information I was taking in to really sink in. And over time, uh, by the time I came to PlanCorp about four years ago as the director of investment research, um, I think I had really shown a passion and I really enjoyed educating others and somewhat being a megaphone for the company of what it is that we believe in and how it is people should hold their advisors accountable and what is the right thing to do. And as I uh, graduated into this co-chief investment officer role, you know, today I manage a little over $4 billion in assets. I recently released my first book called Making Money Simple. And I write for the Wall Street Journal and Forbes and do speaking engagements all over the country. And it's just so much fun to have grown, to take this passion that started at such a young age in something as simple as a share of stock and really grow it into, you know, just trying to help people make smart choices about their money so that they can achieve their goals and fulfill their values. And I try to do this by simplifying complex issues and helping people get their entire financial house in order and keeping it that way forever. And it is a very satisfying day-to-day job. It's very different every day, new challenges. And as I mentioned earlier, the opportunity to create and that creation of things that will help people make good money decisions is really, really a fulfilling activity for me. Yeah, and thank you for it, seriously. I mean, fiscal education is one of our biggest problems, at least in North America. Uh, I know for sure, and I've talked to people all over the world, it seems to be the same everywhere. So what do you feel or what have you noticed as some of the biggest challenges that you have in relation to working with other people with their challenges? What are, what are their biggest challenges that, you've, that you find yourself teaching more than anything? 
there are two things that stick out. One of which is the fact that the way our human brain is wired, the neural patterns, you know, they've, they've stuck MRI machines on people to test this, that the neural patterns think of saving for the future in the exact same way that we think of giving money away to a complete stranger. So making good money decisions, there's a huge disconnect uh, physiologically that we have to clear, you know, to clear that hurdle with just about every money decision we make. And so I think a lot of the advice that I give tries to acknowledge human nature and human behavior. A lot of things that we do, particularly on an investment front, are the complete opposite of what we should do. You know, our instincts just don't align. And so if you acknowledge that you can't take the human nature out of humans, well, then you can start building systems for people that make it easy to follow over time and make the right choice the easy choice to make time and time and time again. Because a lot of financial success, it's not magic. It's mostly a matter of engineering. And you try to make the little decisions consistently correct over time. And these small decisions compound into just incredible results in the end. So the first piece that I would say is something that I'm challenged with is the fact that generally speaking, people don't think of their future selves in a way that is relatable. You know, where, where do you think that a, comes from, Peter? You know, I'm not sure. I think it's if we look at um, you know how we've evolved as a species. You know, the cognitive revolution was only fifty thousand years ago, and you know, we've only been dealing with data. The scientific revolution was about five hundred years ago. So we've, we we our instincts. Um, you hear a rustle in the bush and you run. You don't sit there and calculate the probability of it being a lion. You know, we have mm -hmm. deeply ingrained aspects in our DNA from you know an era where there wasn't data all around us and we're very impulsive if we you know as you think about you know we when we were hunter gatherers we were just eating as much as we could because you didn't know where your next meal was and again those instincts are still within us and so if i offer you a great dinner today or a great dinner a year from now you're probably going to take me up on the great dinner today and research shows that people think that the great dinner will be better. Same if I offered you a Starbucks gift card, $25 Starbucks gift card today versus giving you one in three months from now. And the research shows that people value that Starbucks gift card more today than three months from now. When in, in reality, you know, if you like Starbucks and you like coffee, coffee is coffee. It's not actually mm -hmm. more difference in value three months from now. So I think there's just a lot of things that you know, we developed as a species um, you know, when we started farming and again, we just, we weren't using data. It's not how we as a species grew into who we are today. And so I think that's a really big part of it. Um, yeah, now, that brings up the, the test the the marshmallow test that was done years oh, ago. Yeah. You're probably yep. familiar with. Yeah. It's, uh, um, are you able to explain that one? Sure. Yeah. The marshmallow yeah. test I'll, I'll kind of roughly summarize is basically putting too. kids in a room <laughs> with a marshmallow and say, and saying, mm -hmm. we'll be back in two minutes or something like that don't eat it. You can eat it when we get back. The kids who don't eat the marshmallow um, show more self-control and the study was shown to say that they have better financial outcomes in the future because mm -hmm. they're able to um, show some patience and whereas the people who ate the marshmallow or licked the marshmallow, you know, they showed less success in the long run financially and career-wise. And I think this ability to um, wait, you know, to, to de de delayed gratification right really is important in finance and so much of what you do today it's hard to think of how saving small amounts today is going to compound in the future because our brains just don't picture exponential things that well 
there's an example I use in the book where if you take a standard piece of printer paper, it's about a tenth of a millimeter thick, and you fold it over, it's doubled in thickness. And if you fold it over again, it's quadrupled in thickness. But if you were to fold that piece of paper 50 times, which is impossible, I think the world record is eight times that you can fold a piece of paper, the thickness would stretch from earth to the sun. Mm. And I guarantee you, you ask anybody that, they're not even going to remote, you say, how tall do you think it'd be? Maybe they'd guess, you know, oh, the size of a person, but to the size of the sun, that's how powerful exponential growth is. And so when you can try to educate people, educate people on that exponential power as well as set up systems to make sure that they can realize the power of compounding, not just in your investment accounts and your bank accounts, but in all aspects of life. You know, any habit that you pick up over time is going to compound. So if I go swim three or four times a week, you know, the results aren't immediate, but it's like a hockey stick in growth over time as you keep going. Or if I commit to giving my wife a compliment once a day, uh, about anything, you know, it just becomes natural. And the personal changes you go under compound over time as well with that. And so I think generally speaking, that's a huge disconnect with finances in general. Now I will say taking somewhat of a different turn here on the strictly investment side of things, uh, people tend to just chase performance and they don't really realize that's what they're doing. But People just want to own whatever's doing well, and they don't want to own what isn't doing well. And I always tell people, the way you know you have a diversified portfolio is there's going to be a part of it that you hate at all times. Mm -hmm. That's how you know you're properly diversified. And so I think you know, what I'm talking about on the finance side of trying to connect with your future self, you can build around with systems and behavioral coaching. With the investment side, it is a lot of behavioral coaching and trying to get people to stay the course because investment success is all about just minimizing mistakes and staying the heck out of the way of compound interest. And the more changes you make to your portfolio, the more you are likely to interrupt compounding. And mm. even Warren Buffett, you know, he had, I think he's worth like $81 billion, something like that. I think 80 billion of it came after age 65. Right. You know, yeah. you, yeah, you don't realize it, it's, it's, yes, he's a talented investor, but we don't all mm -hmm. have to pick the best stocks or perfectly time the market. We just have to be consistent savers and not worry about it. Let, you know, I'm biased when I say, hey, hire a professional. You know, they will remove one thing to worry about from your life. They'll give you time back to focus on other things that are more important. I realize how biased I can sound in being a financial professional and saying it's a wonderful hire, but it's a lot like mowing my lawn. I can absolutely mow my own lawn. But when I hired a professional to do it, not only did I get back precious time, it looked better. You know, they were doing the little things that I would never think to do. They were cutting grass at different lengths based on its sun exposure. They were seeding strategically, cutting the grass in different directions, edging the, the flower beds. I mean, they did all this stuff that even if I knew that some of those things were ways to have a better looking, healthier looking lawn, I wasn't necessarily doing them. And that's really where if you can hire a professional that's always acting in your best interest, they're going to take care of the things you didn't realize that you didn't know. And that's extremely important. It's probably one of the biggest blind spots people have with their finances. So what are some good news stories coming out of the work that you've been doing? So I've been so focused on the book release, which came out in April of Making Money Simple, that that was totally consuming my work life for a month. And just last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, 
I recorded the audiobook, which was really a lot of fun. So I've been enjoying that. I relaunched my website, peterlazaroff.com, to be a little bit more user-friendly, um, built an assessment that helps people identify an area to act today called smartmoneyquiz.com. Those have been some really fun areas. And then at PlanCorp, as chief investment officer, we're always evaluating different strategies and trying to find ways to do what it is we are doing today, either cheaper or more tax efficiently or in a way that we think it's easier for a client to stick with. And so those are projects that I typically get a lot of energy from. They're probably not everybody's favorite thing to work on, but for me, I love diving into the numbers. I love looking at different options, Portfolio construction is probably my first love here at my job. And it's not like you're constructing a new portfolio every single day. So when you get to work on something like this, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I bet, especially for somebody like yourself. And it's we got to have somebody passionate in our lives that are doing those things that we don't necessarily absolutely love doing because they have to get done regardless, right? Yep, absolutely. Excellent. Well, that's, that's excellent, man. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm definitely going to be sharing uh, your your websites in the show notes, guys. So don't worry about writing that down. I'll have it all linked up in the show notes. Uh, but definitely go check it out, especially the uh, Smart Money Quiz. I think that's brilliant to, to do that, to have that out there. And anytime you can t- get in front of a professional and have them look at what you're doing, uh, I mean, I just think it's a smart thing to do. So we're at the point where we're going to pay it forward. You ready to do that? Yeah, let's do it. Excellent. All right, all of you abundant leaders out there, I need your help. I've got myself into a little bit of a bind. And in true men of abundance form, by helping me out, you're going to pay it forward and help others out as well. Possibly even yourself. I don't know. So over the last couple of years, I have been perfecting my skills as a business and marketing strategist, and I've gotten very good at it. What else I've gotten good at is attracting amazing clients, amazing business owners to help them in their business. And what I've realized is when certain people get at a certain point in business, they feel they want to pay it forward and they want to become coaches and help others or at least mentors and help others out in their industry. The problem is, like I had in the very beginning, They don't know how to start a coaching business. And even if they do know how to start a coaching business, they certainly don't know how to gain clients. This is the biggest problem amongst coaches and business across the board is getting more clients. You see it all the time. I need more leads. I need more clients. If only I could get in front of the ideal prospect or the ideal client, then I could do amazing things. So I've got a solution for that. Not only am I training at my own expense, coaches, building their websites, giving the marketing collateral, all that stuff, making it so that they are massively successful. There's no reason why they couldn't be successful. I'm taking it a step further. I am also training at my own expense, speaker trainers who are business minded and want to actually get paid to speak. The speakers will speak, the coaches will coach, and everyone will get paid And the business owner is going to be extremely happy because they are going to get what they want out of the deal as well. So what I need from you is one, if you know anyone who wants to be a business and marketing strategist and a coach, and if you happen to know any great business-minded speakers who are very hungry and actually want to get paid for speaking to a group of small business owners, not just once, but multiple times they'll get paid monthly from one event, then check out the appropriate link in the show notes of this episode and share that with others who you know fit into those categories. 
I greatly appreciate it and they will greatly appreciate it because this is going to set them up for massive success in their coaching or speaking career. Now, let's get back to the conversation. So share with Men of Abundance one to three actionable steps that they can take today. Well, even though we just said it uh, several times, I think if you're trying to find a place in your finances to make an immediate impact, you can go to smartmoneyquiz.com. It's only nine questions and it'll show you three or four places to start right now. So I think that's a great first step for people. If you're looking to learn more about your finances. And I don't think you have to become an expert, but if you'd like to make good money decisions, I think picking up a book um, on the topic, whether it's mine or somebody else's, is always a good first step. I don't think anybody who starts to learn something becomes as susceptible to the mistakes that most of us make. Uh, But then finally, I think the biggest investment, and this is going to maybe be a surprise to some of you, that you can make to your finances beyond dollars and cents is in your health. And I think people underestimate the dollar value of living a healthy life. And healthcare obviously is improving and doing amazing things, but it comes at a cost. And oftentimes I tell people the reason I exercise is just as much for the brain benefit than it is for the the vanity of appearance uh, of being healthy. And so I think if you're going to make an investment in your very long-term financial well-being, you can make a huge difference by taking a walk every day or regularly exercising, finding something that works for you. That is huge. And I have a huge smile on my face right now because even though I work as a business and marketing strategist, when I'm working with a new client, one of the first things I do is see what their daily activities look like and are they physical in any way. And if I see physically, because we usually get on a video and I see that they need that, everybody needs it regardless of what your body composition looks like. But I make sure that they put that in there like, what's that got to do with business? Oh, trust me. <laughs> it's huge. And it becomes addictive once you start doing it. Yeah. So I think weeks where, so I'll tell people I swim one to four times a week and that's a pretty wide range. And if I'm mm-hmm. traveling, you know, it's closer to that one or two times a week. But if I'm not traveling, I, I feel so much better the days I do it. And the, if I go a couple stretches where I don't do it because of travel, I start getting antsy. I'm less focused. There's just so much research on the benefits for your brain. Um, and I think that's really important that people underestimate that. The physical benefits are also extremely important. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you are living a healthy lifestyle, that one of the biggest expenses you'll have in retirement, which is healthcare, will be lower. And that is a huge step to having that financial freedom to spend your day to do whatever you want. Not And let's also say, of course, financially, but if you're healthy, then you can do even more things. So I mm-hmm. think that's one of those exponential things in life, one of those small habits that if you, can, you don't have to go run marathons, you can just commit to taking a walk every morning. Um, really does a lot of benefits for you across the board. Yeah, absolutely. I got my laps in this morning. I swim about <laughs> two to three times a week as well. Oh, good for you. Mostly because I can't run as much as I lo- used to enjoy to. Just knees can't do it. Yeah, I just point. I committed to it early, figuring that I could avoid a knee mm-hmm. surgery at some point if I started swimming as opposed to running now. Yeah, yeah. Plus, I enjoy swimming. I just enjoy being in the water. So It's, it's very amazing. peaceful. It is, especially because the pool I swim at is right next to the lake. So when I get out, I got oh. the lake there and the sun coming up. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's beautiful. It's just gorgeous, man. Well, I just, swim, I just jump into an ice-cold lap pool uh, near my kid's daycare 
mm-hmm. but it's wonderful every single time. And when I go on vacation, it's very rare you can find a pool, but I'll be the person swimming in a hotel pool that is not designed for lap swim. So if you ever look out your window and see that guy, it's probably me. Very cool. I love it, man. Hey, get it done, man. So yeah. we already talked about some of your rituals, but what are some other rituals that make a big impact in your life? I made a commitment a long time ago uh, to read 20 minutes a day, and I am pretty selective about what I read. I think reading the daily news is very poisonous to being a good investor, so I try not to read something that wouldn't be relevant to me in 12 months, Uh, but that also just means reading more books, and I find that Mm -hmm. if you commit to reading 20 minutes a day, you'll often get lost in a book, and you'll read more, and you People always wonder, how can you read 20, 30, 40 books a a year? And I know some people who are reading hundreds of books a year, so I I don't Mm -hmm. even touch them. But I'm usually in that 20 to 40 range a year, and it mostly just stems from reading 20 minutes a day and making reading an easy choice. So I use Kindle. It's on my work computer. It's on my cell phone. It's on my laptop. It's on a couple different tablets throughout the house. And at any point in time, and I have a Kindle just laying in bed so I can read when I go to bed, it's really hard if I'm waiting in line you know, I have an excuse to read. And I think that 20 minutes a day is a big deal. Um, I think trying to smile when I pull into the garage at home. So no matter what my day was, if you smile, there's a lot of research showing that you walk Mm. in happier and you'll unload a lot of the day's stresses by the time you're walking in the door. And that allows you to be more present with your family and your loved ones. So I think that conscious effort to, as I entered my neighborhood, I just get a big old grin on my face, no matter what mood I'm in. And I'm sure everybody passing me is thinking, gosh, that guy's happy, but it really makes a difference. Um, it's just like they say to smile when you're on the telephone because you sound happier, mm-hmm. but there is research that shows you start smiling and again, physiologically, your body responds to that. So those are little habits, the reading, the exercise, the, the trying to smile before interacting with people after work or before work. Those are all big things that I think have had an impact on my life. Yeah, you know, you brought that up a couple of times, and I want to point this out just in case the guys didn't catch on to it because I, I have this conversation on the regular, man, is first off, when you're talking about the finances and stuff, you're talking about a mindset, basically, the mindset, and mindset is huge, and physiology is the other part. Physiology is what enhances your mindset. Smiling, standing up straight, putting your shoulders back, and smiling literally changes your physiology, changes your mindset, changes everything about you so that when you walk into that boardroom, walk into the house, wherever it is that you're going, you're walking in with a different, in a better state and in a state being ready to engage in the right way. So thanks for sharing that. It's extremely important to, to do that. Now well, you've mentioned, noticing. <laughs> yeah, hey, the, you know, it's, it's huge. It's really big. And people kind of scoff at it when I tell them, hey, go look in the mirror first thing in the morning and sm- just laugh at smile. Huge. And or and if that doesn't do it for you, go watch some babies smiling. If you can't smile, watch right. baby smiling. I like that. You're not human, man. <laughs> that works for me anyway. But you mentioned reading. You read quite a bit. Mentioned your book, of course. Highly recommend it. I, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but after talking with you, looking at you, seeing what you've been doing, I'm absolutely positive it's a great resource. But what other books would you recommend that our abundant leaders read or listen to and why? Well, I think if we're coming at it from a financial perspective, if you're just an absolute beginner, I think The Elements of Investing is a wonderful first book. It's written by Charlie Ellis and Burton Malkiel, who both wrote really, really popular books in the investment community, but they co-authored this one shorter one, The Elements of Investing, a great place to start. And even if you're an intermediate 
um, expertise level of your finances, it can be a good refresher. I think Happy Money, The Science of Happier Spending, it was a really important book for me, uh, just showing five key ways that we can use our money scientifically to make us happier. Um, Some of those include favoring experiences over stuff. And an experience can be something like a vacation or as simple as an elaborate date night. Um, Other things are purchases that create time, um, giving to others. You know, those are examples. So I think Happy Money was a wonderful book. And then something I read more recently, and I honestly wish I'd read before I written my book, was called Atomic Habits um, by James Clear. And I think you can improve yourself anywhere in life, whether it's with your finances, with your health, with your career, if you focus on making small incremental changes, you know, rather than it's more about focusing on consistency rather than intensity. So I'm not going to just go try to run a marathon, but I am going to go run for 15 minutes a day. That's the right mindset you want to get in. Do these small things that over time will compound into incredible results. Mm, Yeah, for sure. What do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? Well, I think people who are on that merry-go-round that you're not allowed to get off, that's typically what does it. And sometimes you don't really realize you're on a merry-go-round until somebody else points it out for you. And I think that's happened to me once or twice in life where someone has to say, hey, you just got to get off the merry-go-round and not seeing the bigger picture. So you're just so stuck um, worrying about what's next instead of just being in the moment. I think that can definitely hold people back. Yeah, for sure. What does living a life of abundance mean to you? Or what does being a man of abundance mean to you? I think the feeling of having enough, whether it's enough time or enough friends or enough money, and I'm not perfect in this respect, especially just because I'm so competitive with myself, but I try really hard to look back while I'm climbing upwards and enjoy the view. And I think that you know, knowing that I've had enough and appreciating the accomplishments I've had, that's that's what being a man of abundance means to me. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. So, brother, we're going to close this up, Peter, and we are definitely going to have your websites, peterlazaroff.com and smartmoneyquiz.com linked up in the show notes. But before I let you go today, what did we not talk about that you want to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation? You know, we actually got to talk um, a little bit about investing in personal finance, which are always my true passion. And so I will just encourage listeners, everybody has money issues and we all need to understand our money. And there's probably one thing you've been putting off for a long time. And it may be as small as just paying bills, or it may be as big as opening an HSA or going and getting disability insurance. As you're listening and as I'm speaking, I'm sure that one thing has come to mind for each and every one of the listeners. And so I'd encourage you to do that tonight. Get it done tonight. Um, Don't waste any more time because every decision you make today is going to have an impact decades from now. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, even I've thought of several things, you know, along the way. So thanks for sharing that. And thanks for all of your knowledge. And again, thanks for taking the time to jump on today. I know you have a tight schedule and it's been an honor uh, having this conversation with you. Go out, live your life of abundance, Peter, and keep paying it forward, man, because it's definitely making a huge difference. Oh, thanks so much, Wally. This is awesome. I appreciate you having me on. 
All right, look, guys, this is a big issue with me because so many people that I get a chance to talk to, specifically business owners, they hide from their finances. They hide from their business finances and they hide from their home finances. It correlates exactly across the board. Now, listen, there are many little sayings that I can put in here that will make this very relevant. For instance, what gets measured gets done or what gets measured improves. Ignoring a problem only makes it worse, and I can go on and on. The fact is, in order to improve your financial situation, and in order to reach your financial goals, you have to know where you're at today, as grim as it may be. You have to get everything together and get with an expert, get with somebody who knows what they're talking about when it comes to finances, not somebody who's necessarily trying to sell you something but just somebody who understands finances. Some CPAs fall into that category, not all, but there are many professionals out there who can help you get your finances on track. If anything, it's just a matter of looking at them and being real about what is really going on with your financial situation. I'll give you a couple really quick examples. When I was a first sergeant in the United States Army, I would have soldiers come to me and ask, for, ask me to recommend them to the commander if, so that they could get an Army Emergency Relief loan. Now, it was an interest-free loan that they could get from Army Emergency Relief, and it had to be for circumstances that were kind of beyond their control. So what I would do is I'd send them down to see the uh, financial specialist, and generally I could even look at their finances and see what the situation was. Many times it had more to do with frivolous finances and purchases that were in no way a necessity and other late charges for various things. For instance, back in that day, Blockbuster was still around. So they had 40, 50, 60 dollars in late fees because they hadn't turned in some VHS tape to Blockbusters. Or they had multiple purchases at GameStop for video games and multiple purchases at various fast food restaurants and so on and so forth. And then all these late charges on their credit cards and late charges on their other bills that were just piling up and piling up and piling up. And if they would just get their spending under control, then they would be able to keep the lights on. They had their priorities all messed up. It's the same thing when I'm working with business owners today and I ask a business owner for their financials. Instead of giving me their profit and loss statement, their cash flow statement and various things, financial documents, they would give me their credit card statements and their tax records thinking that is their business financials and it's not. And just by looking at their credit card statement, I can clearly see where I can find them several hundred to several thousand dollars immediately by just renegotiating some supplier deals or cutting out some expenses that they're not even using that in no way helps their business gain more clients. Now, I can keep going with this topic because I'm obviously very passionate about it in helping people get their finances under control, both professionally and personally. But I'm going to be doing an episode on Business Owner Growth Podcast in the next couple of weeks. So make sure you get subscribed to Business Owner Growth Podcast. I'll have the link in the show notes, but you can also just search Business Owner Growth on your favorite podcast player and you will find it right there. Get subscribed because I'll be talking about this conversation and many other business owner related topics at Business Owner Growth Podcast. Now, go out, live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward. 
That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance.